Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome again. It's great to have you with us uh, tonight. Um, so tonight, uh, I just want to conclude uh, a little mini-series that I started last week called New Year Old Wisdom. And, and last week, we talked about uh, what it really meant to build a life of wisdom in 2020. Wisdom is essentially learning the skill of living life well. If you want to flourish this year and beyond, then we all need wisdom. And if we look at our world today, if we examine our world and our culture, the reality is we definitely need the wisdom of God. We need to learn to uh, how to live life well. And so our foundational thought last week from the book of James, chapter 4, was essentially a life of wisdom, first and foremost, understands this, that life is uncertain. Life is brief. And if you understand those two things, that life is uncertain and life is brief, then you will, um, you will emphasize in your life urgent things and important things. You'll build a life on urgent and important things. And this year, we, we definitely want to put God at the center. That's what it really means to live a wise life. And we want to focus on today, not tomorrow. To really focus on today, I don't know how your week has gone since last Sunday and we shared these things, but I'm sure um, the worries and the anxieties of tomorrow start to creep in on your today moments. And um, if you're like me, I think it's encouraging to keep coming back to that portion of scripture and saying, do you know what, I'm, I'm not going to focus on tomorrow. I'm not going to borrow tomorrow's worries and anxieties and bring it into today. There's great power in today. So the foundational thought of wisdom is to anchor ourselves in today. So as we kind of go into part two uh, tonight, let me ask you a question. Who do you want to be in 2030? Okay, now I haven't made a mistake with the date. Okay. <laughs> Not 2020, but 2030. What do you want to do with your life and who do you want to become by 2030, 10 years from now? Who do you want to be and who do you want to, what do you want to do in 10 years' time? Now, whatever that is for you tonight, whatever your answer is to that, let me tell you something. It won't just happen. And talking to a number of people this morning, our morning service, uh, they, were just, they were just reflecting on this and saying that it's so true that kind of in, in the Christian world, we kind of think that um, we almost have a, a fate mentality, a case sera sera mentality that whatever will happen will just happen because we have, have God. But I believe the Bible teaches to live a life of wisdom, which is to do things today, to build today, thinking about the long term, and to think strategically and intentionally, not um, by default, not being, by being driven by our feelings or our circumstances, but living a life by design. You see, successful people do consistently what other people do occasionally. Successful people do consistently what other people do occasionally. And I think uh, kind of a great um, wise thought for the year 2020 is to understand that consistency, not intensity, is the key to a great 2020 and a great decade. Consistency, not 
intensity. Those who become all that they are in God and in life are those, I believe, who are consistent. They're just consistent. They just show up day in, day out. They just steward those moments. They steward their today. I love old cathedrals. I love old cathedrals. And, and probably my favorite is a cathedral in uh, northern France, in Normandy. Um, and it's in a small town called Bayeux. And um, it's got a picture of Bayeux Cathedral there. I absolutely love the architecture. And this war took about 50 years to build, 50 years to build. It's absolutely stunning. Let's just look at York Minster. Anyone been to York Minster? It's a stunning piece of architecture, only an hour away from here. And that actually took about 250 years to build. Which is amazing. Just think about that. 250 years to build. Now, what blows my mind about these beautiful buildings is that people invested their entire lives into a project that they never, ever saw completed. Some saw it completed, but many didn't. To them, building something in worship to God for the sake of worship, for the sake of generations, for the sake of legacy, they built daily and consistently, and the result was absolutely magnificent. And at the outset of this year, I want to invite you to join with me in building a life for a decade. For a decade. Day by day with consistency. That when you go to the year 2030 and you look back at your life over the next 10 years, you will be able to say, look, I made quality, wise decisions and choices every single day. And it's amazing what God has done with that. The thing about building is this, it's a process. It's a process. It's daily. It's deliberate. It costs. It involves plans. It includes other people. It has a vision of the end but lives very much in the moment. It's brick by brick. It's call over convenience. It's purpose over feeling. There's no instant results. It's hard work. And it considers, always considers the foundations of utmost importance. That's what it means to build. And what I'm encouraging you tonight is to build. Think about building a life for the next 10 years that exalts Jesus, that honors Jesus, that responds to the call of God that he has on our lives. So what kind of life are we building? We're all building some kind of life, but what kind of life are we building at the moment? Because the answer to that lies in our thoughts, it lies in our daily habits, it lies in our choices every single day. Where we will be in 10 years is a direct proportion to the building choices that we make every single day. Every single day. And if you want to build a life that looks like a cathedral in worship to God for his kingdom and for generations to be impacted by them, then your future self is the result of the decisions that we make every single day. Just think about your future self. Who do you want to become in God? They are the result, that is the result of making quality, wise decisions every single day. Now here's where I really want to come to my center point. At the outset of 2020, 
is if you want to build for a decade, if you want to build for the long haul, for the long term, a life of fulfilling the will of God and the call of God and the potential of God on your life, a life of flourishing on what is really important and worthy of our attention, then Jesus Christ must be the centerpiece of everything we are and everything that we do. Jesus has to be at the center. And on 1 Corinthians 3, if you can, if you can look at 1 Corinthians 3 with me, this is a, a wonderful, beautiful passage about building a Christian life and building a church with Jesus at the very, very center. So um, we've got the scripture on, on the screen, but can I encourage you to, to bring your Bibles with you because we, every Sunday we, we always dig into, into the Bible. So verse 3 It says this, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere human beings? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. And someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. We should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burnt up, the builder will suffer loss but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? And that God's spirit dwells in your midst. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. Magnificent portion of scripture. Now addressing the church in Corinth, Paul's attempt to overcome the jealousy and the strife described in verse 3 is to kind of knock the props out from under the boasting that we see in verse 4. The root of jealousy and strife is pride that likes to get by boasting in somebody else's bandwagon. So you've got some saying, look, I belong to Paul. And others saying, I belong to Apollos. And and the way Paul here beautifully does to, to knock the props out from under this boasting is to compare his work and the work of Apollos to farm slaves. To farm slaves, he uses that language. So he talks about one planting, that's, that's Paul. And the other one, waters, that's Apollos. But God, this is really key, but God alone gives the increase so that God should be the one that we boast about, not men. 
So people were trying to boast in saying, look, I follow this person, I follow this leader. And Paul is stripping it all back and saying, look, you've got it all wrong. We merely sow seed, we merely water, but, but Jesus gets all the credit. Jesus is at the very center. We must boast in Christ, not men and not women. And as you see there, Paul shifts, doesn't he, from an agricultural picture to an architectural picture. In the one um, image, the church is seen as a field where some plant and water, and in the other, the church is a building where some lay a foundation and some build the structure. The church is like a field and therefore grows and bears fruit, and the church is like a temple where the Spirit of God dwells. It's a very powerful imagery. Now, Paul, great apostle, church planter, leader, I really, I think he looks at this church now as a concerned father. And he's really concerned about this. He's really concerned what is going into that building. What is the DNA in the life of that church, in that body of people? He's really concerned that they get it right, they get the foundations right. So, you know, obviously he references teaching. It's very important to walk through the, uh, the letter. He references teaching and the theology and the doctrine. It better be good. It better be watertight. And he emphasized being a wise builder and that we're to build with care. That's the emphasis here in this passage. What he's saying is this, is that there is only one foundation. This is really key as we think about our lives and we think about the church. This is key. Jesus Christ is the foundation of the church. And it's he who controls the shape. It's he who controls the quality of the church. In other words, what Paul is doing here with this kind of new image of the church as a building is the same thing that he did with the image of the church as a field. He is saying that Jesus Christ has to be, has to be number one. He is foundation, he's the foundation of the church and he's absolutely preeminent. Not only is he at the bottom of it all holding up but his influence must be utterly pervasive throughout the church. Jesus, his ways, his name, everything about him, the name of Jesus. It's utterly pervasive. And, and we see this when Paul um, writes uh, to Timothy where he talks about the church being a pillar and a foundation of truth. It's just lovely um, imagery there that the church must guard the inheritance of the gospel and its impact and influence must be seen outside of the church for people to see. In other words, it's this, everywhere you turn in the church, everywhere you turn in the church, wherever anybody is teaching or building anything, we must see the mark of Jesus Christ. Whatever lifts up Christ in his true greatness is gold and silver and precious stone, and whatever detracts from the fullness of his truth is wood, hay, and stubble. Now, just digress just for, for a moment as we kind of enter this new season as a church because I think the application of this um, to us as a church the whole vineyard is really plain we must constantly constantly and consistently be vigilant to keep Jesus as the foundation of our church especially in the, the trying times and the testing times we find ourselves um, at the moment 
Let's make sure that the building blocks of our doctrine follow the beautiful contours of our foundation, not go off and try to make some little extension on the side that has no foundations under it. But let's take the attitudes of our church and set them down on the lines of the foundation and see where, where we might be off base or in need of some correction. Let's bring all our ministries and our future plans and vision and, and financial goals and lay them, lay them like a transparency over the blueprint of our foundation, which is Jesus. Does it fit? Does it line up? My hope, my longing, my desire is that Jesus be the one and only foundation of this church, that his influence is utterly pervasive in all that we do, that as we go into 2030 and look back the span of the, the, the decade, that we will see that gold and silver and precious stones are in the DNA of this church. We must be a church that always treasures the Bible and truth, that always treasures the worship of God, that always treasures the presence of the Holy Spirit, that always treasures discipleship and holiness, that always treasures unity and the bonds of peace and love. A church that exists for those who don't know Jesus yet. A church that's radically generous, compassionate, full of mercy and justice. Because these are the things that are on Jesus' heart. And Jesus is the head of the church. And we as the body must look like Jesus and must have his heart and must have his vision. And therefore, Jesus must be the foundation and the center of our lives. Now, we need to build, don't we? Not just as a church, but our own lives. When we leave here and we go back to our, the privacy of our own homes and we go to work tomorrow morning, wherever we may find ourselves, we need to make sure and consider that Christ is firmly there is the foundation and the centerpiece of our hearts and of our lives. Now last week we looked at those few verses in James chapter four and just before those verses in verse eight, there is this verse that says this, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And I think if we wanna build a life where Jesus is the foundation of our lives and of our church. If Jesus is to be the center of everything that we do, he's not peripheral to anything, he's central to everything we do, then I think that's a really key verse. That actually daily and consistently drawing near to God, there is nothing actually more valuable and nothing more important that we can do as Christians. And I love the fact that the initiative is very much on, on, on our behalf. As we draw near to God, the promise is that he will draw near to us. And that is, that is stunning in every way. We, we, we get to hear his, his whisper and we get to hear his voice and his, his purpose and direction for our lives. His peace, his assurance, his power, his joy, his wisdom, his direction because we're drawing near to him if we're gonna win the battle for the chaos that exists in our everyday lives, then we need to daily and consistently draw near to God. Now, I'm just gonna give you some, really, some real practical ways to do this, but before I do that, let me just 
um, give you three ways to think before we get into the practical aspect of, of drawing near to God. I think there are three ways to think because if we don't grasp these three things, then the reality is we can often start well but finish badly. <laughs> and there's nothing like a new year and a new decade to start all guns blazing and then get to March and it's like Groundhog Day. And it's just like, no, I can't. <laughs> it's just not worked out. And if we want to be different, if we want to build a life, build the cathedral of our hearts over the long haul, then these are some of the ways that we've got to think. First of all, focus on the how, not the what. Focus on the how, not the what. Uh, this year, you, I'm sure, like me, you may have great vision and you have goals um, for your life. But the focus, I believe, should never be on the goal, but on our systems. Goals don't determine success. Systems determine success. You know, we think... Um, Maybe this year, just practically, it's like, you know, I want to I wanna get fit. I want to have more exercise in my life. I want to lose a couple of stone or, do you know, I want to be more organized in my life or I want to pay off uh, that debt. And we, we kind of go after that goal, don't we? We go after that end result, that, that vision. But I think what we need to do if you want to see the end results change is we've got to focus on our systems and then often the outcomes will fix themselves. Someone says this, you, you don't rise to the level of your goals, you fall to the level of your systems. And linked to that is point number two. I want to encourage you not to quit just because you don't see progress fast enough. Don't quit just because you don't see progress fast enough. So this last week, maybe you've, you've, you've done three times on, on the treadmill at the gym. Any, anyone joined a gym this year? Oh, one person, that's great, okay, well, works for you. And uh, you, you walk the treadmill three times this week, and by the end of the week, it's like, oh, I've, I've gained two pounds. And it's like, <laughs> what's the point? And, uh, or, you know, you want to read, you know, you've read the Bible, Bible app plan all week, and yet, on the way to church, you're still yelling at the kids. It's like, yeah, I've done that for every morning for seven days and I've still got the same anger problems. <laughs> and you think, you know, I'm not going to buy coffee all month and I've saved myself 50 pounds to kind of bring my student debt down or whatever. And you think, oh, do you know what? It's not really made much of a difference. I've not saved 50 pounds out of 30,000 pounds. It's like, it can be really disheartening, can't it? Really disheartening. And we wrongly conclude, we wrongly conclude that small good decisions don't matter that much. It's a, it's a wrong conclusion that small good decisions don't matter that much. Likewise, on, on the flip side, we wrongly conclude that small bad decisions don't matter that much. So um, maybe you're a husband here and, you know, every night, you, you get a couple of hours on the Xbox. I will ask you to raise your hands. But, and uh, you get a couple of hours on the Xbox, and you think, do you know what? The, the wife hasn't le left me yet, so not a bad decision. I'll carry on. 
and you're still doing two or three hours every night on, on the PlayStation, on the Xbox, or you, you skip church one weekend, and then you think, do you know what, that actually, that didn't seem to matter that much. I think I got away with it. In fact, I had a great week. You know, I skipped church and then just had a great seven days, and we think, that's fine, or we, 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 we may have those takeaways or eat lots of chocolates, and it's like, oh, I can't really tell. It's fine, not a big problem. And we wrongly conclude that small bad decisions actually don't matter that much. What I want to say to you is that our life, our life, if you want to build for a decade, our life is the sum total of all the small decisions that we make. So Monday, Tuesday, it may not feel like it was a good decision or it may not feel like it was a bad decision. And I gave you some silly illustrations, but we, we all know with some of our habits or addictions or our life choices, we know deep in our hearts and our minds right now what, what, what maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking to us about. And we know, do you know what, at the moment it may not be a life-altering decision, but we know over time, over time, it all adds up. It all adds up. What I want to encourage some of you uh, tonight is that is that stuff that you're right now committing to doing in private. Maybe it's the daily consistent habit of spending time with Jesus. Is it um, the early mornings, the late nights, the, the sacrifices, enduring criticism, the battle against failing, and you're still getting up time and time again, the persistence, the private price, the small consistent disciplines, the price of purity, I believe it's the things that no one sees that bring results that everybody wants. It's the thing, things that no one sees that brings results that everyone wants. I want to encourage you just to keep going. God sees. And those small decisions that you're committing to every single day are making a long-term effect. And thirdly, this. Our distorted identity sabotages our successes. Just before that verse where it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you, it talks about resisting the devil. And we, as a Christian, we have a real-life enemy, and we've got to resist the enemy. He will come against us. He will come against our minds in order to dilute and distract. And what he often does is, is that what, what he'll go for is that when we not read our Bibles that, that day or that week or we don't spend that time, quality time with God or, or whatever it may be, is that he will constantly link that failure to your identity. And he will tell you that you are not good enough and you didn't do it right and therefore I'm not good at it, therefore I'm a miserable person because I did bad, I am bad. And you think, you know, I just have an addictive personality, it's just the way I am. I just, I can't say no. Um, Maybe you struggle with handling money or you're not organized or not a disciplined person or not good with people and we have this unhealthy identity that's been formed ever since we were kids and it creates unwise habits and it's just cyclical. And every time we make a mistake or we fall back rather than just getting up again, which the Bible is always exhorting us to do, is that we attach those things to our unhealthy view of ourselves. 
I want to encourage you this year to take a different approach. You may have some goals, that's great. You may have some systems, that's great. But focus on who do you want to become. And when you focus on who do you want to become, do you want to be a great mom, I want to be a great dad, I want to be a great wife, a great husband, I want to be a bold, a bold witness at work, I want to be financially free and generous, I want to be a healthy person, that's physically or emotionally or mentally. Don't allow a setback this year. Don't allow a bad day or a bad week or a bad month stop you from making quality, wise decisions day in, day out. Just keep going. Work on the systems. Work on the rhythms. Work on the habits. Now, to help you do that, there's a, there's a great book um, which I've been reading called The Common Rule. And I think this is a great framework to, to put in uh, some, some good habits for our, for our days and for our weeks. And you can substitute any of these things for, for other things you want to focus on or you may feel like God is speaking to you about. But I'm just going to go through some of the things that this guy suggests. And, and at the end of the day is our contemporary chaos um, right now that we live in, the noise, the, the various voices and narratives and, and habits that are forming us, our obsession with um, social media and technology just hijack our lives. And actually it's making us more anxious, making us more on edge. We're not aware, we can't be in the moment with God and with other people because we're distracted all the time. And therefore we need systems and routines and rhythms, rhythms in order to draw near to God so that in 10 years time we can be the type of person we wanna be. This is wisdom. And so the common rule offers four daily habits and four weekly habits. And I was just thinking, imagine if we as a church, all of us did this, not some of us, but all of us did this and committed to this, how transformative this would be in our church and in our community. It'd just be fantastic. Now, the idea of doing this is promoting the love of God and the love of our neighbor. And so here's some of the daily habits. First of all, kneeling prayer, if that's possible for you, morning, midday, and bedtime. So three times a day, like Daniel did, you know, he went to that upper room and, and he was his practice, he said it was his habit to pray three times a day, which is really handy when you're about to be thrown into the lion's den. It's better to have the habit when trouble comes than just think, Do you know, I really should pray more. <laughs> when you're in the lion's den or having a bad day at work. So I just love that idea, that rhythm of, particularly in our, um, in our world today, of just with humility, of posture, physical posture of kneeling before the Lord and saying, Lord, I am yours. I, I consecrate myself to you again. I surrender to you again. Uh, Lord, speak to me. And you pour out your heart to him. So kneeling prayer more three times a day, a meal with others once a day. And for some of you, that's, if you don't have family or, or friends, then that's maybe difficult for you right now on a daily basis, but it may be you're at work and there's a canteen there and you can go and connect with other people. And, and wherever I go now, if I'm in a coffee shop, or whatever, people are just, people are just on their phones, aren't they? And, and we, we've lost the art of just engaging 
with people. And I, I think eating together with other people is, is a great, great thing to do. An hour with your phone off, you may think, well, out of 24 hours, that's not a great deal. But you'd be surprised how many of us are with our phones all the time. But I think just to at least start with, you know, I'm going to have an hour with, put my phone in another room. Maybe it's over dinner time, so you can spend time with, with say, family on an evening, on a morning, just have your phone off. And fourthly, reading your Bible before looking at your phone. So again, it's, it's quite a common thing. People check the, the news, check the emails, go on social media. But actually, when we wake up, is to read the Bible. And there's, some, there's lots out there, some great um, uh, Bible in one year plans, which I really encourage you to do. It'd be fantastic to look back this time next year and to know that you've read through the Bible. I think that's a, a real great thing to do. So to read the Bible for phone, now weekly habits. An hour of conversation with a friend. Just have coffee with someone or maybe it's on the phone with someone or a meal with someone. I think friendship and relationship is so, so crucial. Community is crucial because we have a false view of community currently in our world. So an hour of actual conversation with a friend. Um, he, he also suggests curating media. And, and the reason he says that is that we're being fed narratives and values and stories all the time. And it's this idea of actually we get to be in charge of what we view. So not just flicking, because someone suggested that, YouTube or whatever. And it could be even Christian stuff, like latest sermon or worship song. And we're constantly just then on a rabbit trail. And before we know it, it's two hours has gone. And I've just been looking through lots of other things. That what we need to do is we set the agenda. We curate our media. And we choose the kind of voices that we want to have in our life. We choose the books we want to read and the sermons we want to listen to. And the time spent on that. Fast from something for 24 hours. We're encouraging with this week coming up um, in, a, in a week's time is, is to pray and fast for a week. And that may be fasting social media, maybe fasting um, uh, food, it may be skipping a meal. Um, do things with wisdom. If you have medical conditions, you know, consult your doctor. Um, don't, don't be daft. But I think just bringing that sense of self-control and temperance in our life and creating space to connect with God is really powerful. And so uh, fasting is a great way to do that. So fast from something for 24 hours and take your Sabbath. So to have a Sabbath rest, have 24 hours where you rest, where you connect with um, family and friends, you connect, um, as it were, with God, and you take time to restore yourself with things that you love to do. So I think it's really important to have a Sabbath rest uh, in your week. And the idea behind these things is that these are small disciplines. may not seem much, but small disciplines that will bring big results. Small disciplines that will bring big results. I want to encourage you tonight to choose to do now today what you'll be happy with later on in your life. Choose to do now what you'll be happy with later on in life. And I just want to give you three 
kind of books that I've been reading that may help you just to kind of read around some of the, some of the idea of, of having daily habits. The first of all is a book called Atomic Habits by a guy called James Clear. The Power of Habit um, and The Common Rule. The Common Rule. So that, that, there are three great books uh, you may want to get just to kind of um, read every single week into some of, some of this stuff. Why don't you stand? I'm going to pray.